0: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about spring flowers and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. have a variety of things that I'd like to talk about today, um, mostly a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I want to um, talk about some upcoming events, both online and locally. I want to share with you um, some past episodes that are oldies but goodies that you may not have listened to yet. And I want to talk a little bit about May Day and spring flowers, um, spring greens, adaptogens, uh, food that I've been eating lately, infusions that I've been drinking lately. And I want to read a little um, bit from the introduction of my new book. So a little bit all over the place today, but it should be fun. So let's dig in. A couple reminders that uh, my book, Drinkable Healing Herbal Infusions, is available for pre-order on Amazon. And I'm going to share a bit of it in a bit. And then the Comfrey Conference is starting next week. And so this is your last chance to register for free. Once the conference starts, then registration will, and for there on, registration will be around $85, I believe. And that is lifetime. Um, you, if, once you register, whether it's for free or you end up paying, you get lifetime access to the information. And to the recorded presentations, and there are going to be some really great speakers who I'm sure are going to have a lot of really interesting things to say. Um, Patch Adams is going to kick off the event, and then um, Richo Check, um, David Hoffman is going to be a speaker. Ellen Everett Hoffman. Um, myself, Astrid Grove, Eagle Song, Evans Gardner, uh, Linda Conroy, and among many other herbalists as well, but those are just some highlights. So there's also um, Comfrey Shorts, which anyone can send in a short before the conference starts, just talking about your personal experience with comfrey. And then there's also the comfrey kitchen, which is on the course um, website. And so that is all the different ways that you can prepare comfrey. It's basically a huge tomb of information that is all gonna be compiled about comfrey, which is really exciting. There's also a comfrey marketplace where uh, people will be selling different products that they make with comfrey. Then also what's happening, so definitely please check that out. This is a plant that has been... Um, really almost demonized and definitely misunderstood. and I think that the more we talk about it and share our experiences with it and the more that we gather and collect information about it, the better off we will all be as a herbal community. The next event is that I want to talk about is a local event that our local island Heritage Trust is teaming up with Fog Town Brewery in Ellsworth, Maine. So if you live uh, in this general area, then there's going to be a really fun evening um, on Friday the 13th. So that's a week from this Friday from 3 to 8. And they're going to have the Invasive Pilsner Night, which they have made a Pilsner beer that is infused with rose hips, Barberries and Japanese knotweed root. So you can check that out if you live locally, and I'll let you know how it goes if you don't. Um, I also wanted to cue you into some previous episodes that I produced for the Healthier podcast last year. So this podcast has been running for about a year and a few couple months. Yeah, like a year and a quarter, I guess. And so last spring, um, episode 14 was all about spring roots and harvesting them and preparing them. Episode 15 is all about stinging nettle, like really a deep dive into that great plant. Episode 16 is herb gardening and the best plants to grow, which has been a very popular episode. Episode 17 is all about violet, from harvest to folklore to herbal preparations, it's funny, like I knew that I had wanted to do a podcast episode on that this spring, and then I was like, "Wait, I think I actually did one already, so um, I did do one already. So check that out. That's episode 17. And then episode 18, as we approach Mother's Day, is six herbs for Motherhood. And that's a lot of them are nervine herbs, <laughs> and then some plantain, of course. So if you're bored and looking for more herbal podcast content, then check out some of those oldie butt goodies back in my early podcast days, right? (laughs) Um, Also May Day just occurred. And so May Day, uh, May 1st, and Beltane is in the Celtic uh, calendar Circle wheel of the year, and it's a cross quarter holiday, and a lot of people kind of think of it as the height of spring, or we're you know halfway between spring equinox and summer solstice, and for me, and for a lot of other people, in for the sun calendar and the agricultural calendar, and the traditional. I believe, you know, the ancient Celtic calendar, Beltane actually marked the start of summer. And so I'd like to introduce or maybe you've already have that idea in your mind, but to introduce it as an option again to think about you know, the height of summer as being the solstice, because that's the longest day of the year. And then after that, of course, the days start getting shorter. So that's kind of like almost a decline, definitely a decline in light. And right now is when the days are really starting to kick into gear and really starting to get longer and longer. And the growth is really starting to happen. And the flowers are really starting to bloom. Um, And it just you know really feels like the start of summer for us here in Maine it's like just starting to get warm we're getting a few 60 degree days and that feels really nice um so i like to really kind of shift the calendar the seasonal calendar in my mind back from maybe what is standardly considered today um, I think it's more of a cultural calendar when we're like, oh, summer starts as summer solstice because it's the longest day of the year and that means summer and because school is ending and so it's summer vacation and, and all this. But really in my mind, you know, this is the start of summer. And for me, it's really when I start really getting into gear with garden work. So just to consider that as a, as a potential in your mind's eye, Beltane is, you know, really a time of when the fairies really start to emerge, and when I say fairies, I mean, like, the wild spirits, the green spirits, which, you know, I feel like in modern day, we think of fairies as these dainty little white girls, but traditionally and folklorically fairies were, hmm, they were a little more like tricksters or, you know, feared to some degree. And I think this goes, you know, back to this idea of the wild, the essence of wild instilling some fear in humans. It's the chaotic nature, the you never know which way things are going to go. And could go in any direction at any time. And that was almost what the fairies um, represented to some degree. And, you know, the fairies didn't like gardens that were well-kept or orderly or managed or kept in rows. And, in fact, I've heard of people who really consider the fairies only really like being in wild places and where you would keep a part of the parcel of land that you um, tend, let's say, um, wild so that the fairies would have a home versus in a well manicured garden. And, you know, we can think of these in different ways. I mean, there is obviously earth spirits and... uh, plant spirits and all of this within even a tamed garden. But it does kind of like a super tamed garden does kind of lack a little bit of that, that fire, that spirit that a wild garden may have. Or maybe that's just what I tell myself, because all of the gardens around my personal house have pretty much reverted back to wild as I've become a professional gardener for other people, um, cobbler shoes and all of that. So things to consider, but whether you call them spring flowers or early summer flowers, the flowers are starting to bloom here. So we have dandelions blooming and violets blooming. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the flowers that I see blooming right now and how we may want to work with them. And just to start off, um, a couple flowers for your salads, perhaps, or your dinner plate or just for grazing as you walk around. Uh, for scythia flowers, you can eat in um, you know moderate amounts. I wouldn't eat them in extremely large amounts, or that's what I've been told. But in moderate amounts, or in salads, or on top of baked goods, or as garnishes, it's it's totally fine. Um, same with colt's foot flowers, although those are mostly done blooming at this point, but they can be um, a flower that can be edible, or you can put them in honey and work with it as a cough remedy. Flowers also that are nice, edible flowers are... Um, the tulips, tulip petals, actually, actually, I guess they're sepals, um, are delicious, actually. And they're really nice on salads. They're very striking or even like cut into slivers. Also, um, they can make little cups like on an appetizer plate and you could put like a little food inside the tulip like maybe a, it depends on what you're into but maybe like a little bit of tuna salad or a little bit of coleslaw or you know some some sort of something that's not super wet cuz then they get kind of chewy and hard to eat but just like a little bit of something that you can take as a bite with the tulip flower petal so that's a fun thing. Um, Also right along with your tulips, you might be growing grape hyacinth, which are the little tiny blue um, hyacinth flowers, not the really big purple bold hyacinths, but the little tiny ones where you actually smell them and they have that kind of classic grape smell to them almost. So those are edible. Uh, Vinca vines, The vinca vine, also known as periwinkle, that plant is uh, poisonous, but you can eat a few of the flowers um, every now and then added to your salad. Again, it's not a flower that you want to necessarily consume massive amounts of all at one time, but a little bit here or there as garnishes is totally fine. Two plants that you don't want to eat flowers of are daffodils and Lily of the Valley. So those smell great, they make great bouquets but we're not going to eat them. Now two of my absolute favorite weedy flowers that we can make all kinds of plant remedies with. One is dandelion, of course, and the other is violet, of course. So, I want to talk a little bit about each of those flowers. The dandelion flower um, is, you know, obviously the dandelion plant is a classic bitter plant. The flower itself um, is slightly bitter, especially if you keep the green part on. So, the petals can be removed from the green part and be added to salads. Or can be made into preparations if you want them to be like a sweet preparation um, where you don't want to have that bitter. Although that seems like that's often a lot of too much work for me, and I like a little bit of that bitter. So you can make uh, dandelion flower wine, which is a really kind of classic. herbal preparation, and there's tons of recipes that different people have that I'm sure you can just Google or YouTube and find a variety of. Um, Dandelion flower syrup is another option, which you can take the flowers and, you know, fill a quart jar with the, like, loosely packed with the flowers. It doesn't even have to be a quart jar. It could be a, a half a quart. And Jar, like, a, you know, I mean, you're going to end up with a lot of syrup. So you really don't need a lot of syrup. So even just, like, you could really pack a four-ounce jar with flowers and then pour uh, boiling water over that jar and put a lid on it and let it steep for, you know, like four hours. You want to get a nice, strong infusion so it really has some strong flavor to it. And then you're going to then add um equal amount of honey, or some people use sugar, uh, to the water after you strain out the flowers. And that could be used in bubbly water or cocktails or taken by the spoonful for fun. I don't really, that you know, the main prep um, property of dandelion flowers that really pops into my head is that they can be worked with as a Discutient, which means they really can help to kind of break up cysty tissue. Um, that's that you, you know, it's like maybe sebaceous cysts or something. If you infuse it in oil, although then you really just—it's not the easiest plant to infuse in oil because there's so much water content to it, and the oil is, um, you know, doesn't like water. But as soon as you dry a dandelion flower, it's going to go to seed on you. So you can't really make the oil from dried dandelion flowers because there's pretty much no such thing as a dried dandelion flower. So you can... um, there's a variety of ways that you can make an oil. You can still do it that way just by filling a jar with dandelion flowers and covering them with oil and letting them sit, but maybe for a shorter amount of time uh, than the four weeks and straining it out and making sure that you strain out, you know, you let the oil settle after you've strained it and then you have to pour it off of any water that might have settled at the bottom of your jar. And then if you wanted to make it stronger, then you could add more flowers to that oil and then do that again. You could also, instead of covering it with a lid, you could cover it with um, cheesecloth or something that is airy, that allows air and moisture to evaporate out of the oil, potentially. Another way would be to heat the oil and the dandelion flowers slowly, and then hopefully any of that moisture would slowly evaporate out of the oil as you warm them together. So that's something to definitely experiment with. Uh, And then the dandelion flowers' petals can also be uh, added to baking projects, whether they're cookies or frittatas, Um, bread, anything like that. You can, I'm sure, Google a bunch of recipes out there, but that's something to consider. And then uh, infused vinegar. And this you can do the whole dandelion plant if you want a more bitter vinegar and more mineral-rich vinegar. But if you just kind of want like a fun vinegar. You can do even like a white balsamic vinegar and then you, or a white champagne vinegar that they, you then infuse the dandelion flowers into. And hopefully you'll get some of that really nice yellow color infused into that clear vinegar. So that's an option. You can also just, if you're uh, "Quote unquote weeding" or AKA harvesting the dandelions from your garden, um, we you know root, leaves, flower, and all. Then you can just take that fresh and chop it all up and put it in a jar and cover it with vinegar to make an infused, mineral-rich, digestive, tasty vinegar. The dandelion buds can be harvested separately on their own, the flower buds and added to vinegar or infused into vinegar and then can be used um, as a caper, as like a wild caper, which a caper is essentially a flower bud that's been pickled. So all kinds of things. Um, The vinegar, when you make vinegar, especially infused with herbs, especially fresh herbs, I really like to make sure that I boil the vinegar first and then bring it back to room temperature to kill off any mother that might be remaining in the vinegar um, just because it's going to extend the shelf life of the product. I mean, yes, part of the joy of vinegar is knowing that it is a living probiotic food. Um, But when we're making herbal remedies, we're really using it more of a solvent and not as a probiotic food. So because when you mix that probiotic food with living plants that also have other microorganisms on them, uh, sometimes that, that becomes something that is not so appealing to the taste buds, let's say, or to the nostrils. So it's good to pre-pasteurize your own vinegar. Which is basically just means you put it on a stovetop in a non metal pan. Pyrex uh, p- pots are really good for that. Also, um, like ceramic lined pots can be beneficial for that as well. Dandelion flower tincture you could do, or you could do the whole dandelion plant again, similar to the vinegar. And that's what I really like to do is when I am harvesting the dandelion plants out of my garden or from where they don't belong, then I like to uh, clean them off, chop them up, uh, root, leaves, flower, stem, and all. And Um, lightly pack a jar, whatever size I want, the amount of tincture that I want, and then I cover it with 100-proof vodka, making sure all of the plant material is covered, and then cover it with a lid. If the lid has um, a scrupulous top, then you can put a wax paper or parchment paper barrier between them while they infuse The tincture, I think of as you know, really a really wonderful um, preparation for enhancing digestion, and just as a general alternative. So it's an herb that really helps to support the organs of digestion, assimilation, um, and elimination. So whether it's our liver, our kidneys, our intestines, our stomach our saliva, the whole works. It really helps that whole system function optimally, which in turn has a huge effect on the rest of the state of our health and well-being. And it is such a wonderfully abundant plant that the more that we can incorporate dandelion back into Uh, the human, especially the American lifestyle, I think that um, we would really see drastic changes in the health of America, which it needs to change. We have serious health care dilemmas and medical system dilemmas right now. And the more that we can incorporate a variety of plants into our life, especially wild plants, the healthier we will all be. And then the next flower that has just started blooming here in the past couple of days is violet. And maybe it's already done flowering where you are. or Maybe it still might flower or is has been flowering. It usually has, I would say, a relatively two to three week flower time. And I really like working with the purple, the purple, uh, violet flowers, the yellow, small yellow violet flowers. I like to leave alone. Those seem at least in my area to be very rare. And I also, the, we, I, you know, we have lots of white violet flowers too. So those are nice as well. And, I don't harvest the leaves of violet now. I wait until the, the later summer when they get much larger, the leaves. So now it's the flower. And violet is so interesting because it actually has two different types of flowers. In the spring, it has, or in the early early summer, as we are shifting our mindset, um, it has these, you know brilliant, beautiful purple, white, yellow flowers. Very showy, uh, definitely provides food for pollinators. But you never really see any seeds coming off of these flowers. And it's because they don't produce seeds. These flowers, for whatever reason, I don't know if at one point they did, and Violet has evolved away from that and has decided that the secondary flower that it creates obviously is... um, a much better option for it. Uh, but so those purple flowers, you, you can harvest as many as you'd like, and you're not going to be inhibiting the growth of the violet or the reproduction of the violet. Uh, you might be taking away food from pollinators. So, um, I don't know if you've heard of the no mo may, which the first time my client told me no mow may, I was thinking it was like a new pop singer-artist. I was like, oh, who's that? I haven't heard of them. And she's like, no, like, no mow may. Like, you don't mow your grass in May. And I was like, oh, right, okay. Um, To provide, like, early flower food, mostly dandelions, um, for the pollinators. But, so, later in the season violet will actually flower under its leaves. So it's the leaves get bigger. These flowers go away that we're seeing right now. And then underneath the big leaves, there is a little tiny green flower, totally nondescript, that produces a whole bunch of seeds. And I didn't do research before this podcast, so I can't remember off the top of my head. You could dig deeper if you want, but I don't remember if it's self-pollinated or if it's pollinated by um, insects. But I know that the ants are very important in the seed dispersal of the violet. So around each of the seeds is a little sugar or some sort of coating, probably a polysaccharide, I would imagine, some sort of sugary protective coating that ants love. And so they'll take these seeds, which are already kind of right at their grasp because they're already crawling around under all the violet leaves. And they'll take the seeds and they'll bring them back to the ant nest or they'll travel with them and they'll eat the coating around them, the sugar coating around them. And then they'll just, and then they'll throw the rest of the seed out into their junk pile or whatnot. And that will then grow um, new violet plants. So. It's a very interesting symbiotic relationship there. But there are so many fun things. While the violets are blooming, these beautiful colors, uh, flowers, these beautiful, brilliant blue flowers, there's lots of fun things that we can make with them. And I would say that one of my favorite things, um, even though I'm not a big sweets person, but is, it's just a fun thing, especially for kids, is to make a violet syrup syrup which you'd make very similar to the way that I suggested making the dandelion flower syrup. So harvest a whole bunch of purple violets and really pack them into a jar and then cover them with boiling water, put a lid on it, and let it steep for a long time, like four to eight hours. So you're really extracting all of the color, especially, from those flowers, that beautiful dark blue, purple color. And then you can take that really strong brew and add, um, honey to it in either equal parts is really what makes it shelf stable, but it also makes it super sweet. So you can add however much you want. And then when you add it, when you use it for drinks, say, like cocktails or um, bubbly water drinks, like a soda, like a violet flower soda, you then take your lemon squeeze and you squeeze lemon into it and it turns this, like, hot, pink, brilliant kind of magenta color from this more of an indigo blue. And that's just the effect of the acid on those um, those color chemicals which I would assume are antioxidants because most colors from plants are antioxidant in nature um So that's a really fun kind of science project. I went to, when I went down to Boston for Easter, we stopped and visited some friends in Kennebunk, Maine. And we went to a bar slash bowling alley. And they had, their drink special was, oh, it was the blue pea um, flower, which has the same property, like you you've maybe seen people make the tea or maybe you've made the tea and then you squeeze lemon juice in it and it kind of turns hot pink. And so what they had done is they had infused vodka with the blue pea flour and then they, you know, they serve you, you know, a shot's worth of the vodka and then you can like pour it into your glass and and then also pour lemon juice into your glass and uh, make this fancy little drink. So you could do that with the violet flowers as well, I would imagine. I, ha- I don't think, oh, maybe I have made a violet flower tincture, although I think I maybe used white, va- white flowers for that. But you could try and see if that purple extracts into the vodka, 100-proof vodka. I know it definitely extracts into vinegar, but again, you're going to get it because the vinegar is already has acid. It's already going to give you that more of a pinkish color to it. So you can make this really beautiful vinegar for your tabletop um, and for salads and whatnot out of the violet flowers. The same way you would make a tincture, basically fill a jar as full as you can. Of the violet, the purple violet flowers, and then cover it with, cover all the flowers, and fill the jar to the tippy top with some sort of white wine vinegar or white champagne vinegar or something along those lines or rice vinegar. When we make herbal vinegars, is if we use a metal lid that we put a barrier, um, whether it's saran wrap or. Parchment paper, wax paper, in between the vinegar and the metal. Otherwise, the metal will um, rust, and we don't want rust in our remedies. The blue violets will really bring out brilliant blue color, or like even like a pinkish color into your vinegar. Although I will say that over time, especially if it's exposed to light, that color dissipates over time. So it's kind of like a make it and then use it up while you have it. And then the violet flowers are also obviously edible, just they taste like peas to me, um, like a sweet pea. So you could just put them in salads or graze on them. Um, You can also, I've seen people, you know, paint them with like a egg white and then dip them in sugar and let them dry as like little candied violets. And then you can also um make ice put them in ice cubes is another fun thing to do with your violet flowers. Kids love it. I don't I must have done it with Isla, my my six year old daughter like last summer or at some point because this summer, this spring, she saw the violet. She was so excited. Um you know, she pointed them out to me and then she harvested some for herself and she decided, you know, she hid it, hid it from me that she was making ice cubes with them. She kind of did it on the sly just to show me, you know, just to surprise me with them. And so today when we got home, she was like, oh, mom, let me show you my ice cubes. I was like, okay. And she had these beautiful little ice cubes that were full of violet flowers. So was like, oh. Yes. Mom win. The other thing I love to do with violets is if you have an abundance of the flowers, especially the purple ones, um, is to harvest a bunch of them and dry them and then powder them and put them in face masks because they are so soothing to the skin. Um, Or if they're fresh or dried, you can even make a strong water-based infusion with them or a cold infusion with them and then use that as a face rinse to really soothe any hot or irritated red rashy skin. So yeah, so many fun things to celebrate the beginning of summer (laughs) with or the height of spring, however you decide to see the season. A couple spring greens out there right now that you might be able to find to add into your salads or to keep an eye out for are the various uh, mustard family greens. Um, It's nothing like a good plant ID book to go wandering around with. And plantain leaves, they get pretty tough and more bitter as the season progresses, but early spring Plantain leaves can be nice additions to salads and dandelion greens obviously. And like I said I don't I don't eat the violet flowers or the violet leaves yet. I let them get much larger before I harvest them for food. So there are some things while you are out on your walks enjoying this wonderful weather uh, plants to keep an eye out for and to maybe pick one or two plants and one or two remedies and go have some fun. I have these past few days also really been focusing for myself on adaptogens to really prepare me and get me going for this garden season and so astragalus root, also astragalus root is great because the lime slash tick season has begun, unfortunately. Um, and so astragalus is something that I now incorporate all summer long into my weekly infusion rotation because astragalus um, not only does it support immune function and build resiliency to stress and uh, intense situations, but it has um, specific abilities to fight Lyme and to support our immune system in doing so, especially in the early stages of Lyme infections. Once we start getting into chronic Lyme, Uh, different people have different reactions to astragalus. Some people react really well to it, and others find that it just accentuates their unfortunate symptoms. And the other herb I've been really working with a lot right now is schizandra. Schizandra berry is probably one of my all-time favorite herbs, but how many times do I say that? Oh, so many. There are so many good ones out there, but Shazandra is definitely one of my all-time favorites. And I like the astragalus. I make a nourishing herbal infusion. So whether it's astragalus root or Shazandra berries, I weigh out one ounce in a kitchen scale and I put them individually in a one quart jar. And so the schizandra berries into a one quart jar, and then I fill that jar to the top with boiling water and I put a lid on it, and I let it steep overnight um, or even longer. Sometimes I'll make it in the morning, and it will literally sit out on my counter until the next morning, and it's not a big deal. There's not a lot of protein in Shazandra, so it has a bit of a longer shelf life than the other more common nourishing infusion herbs that have a lot of protein in them. But the schizandra and the astragalus both, you know, they they kind of stay longer. And so I did the first round, and, I, and you don't even have to strain the schizandra and the astragalus. I had more of, like, bigger pieces of roots, so I didn't need to strain either one of them. And I just kind of drank them and used my teeth as the strainer, not allowing... The berries into my mouth, but every once in a while, you get a berry in your mouth and kind of chew on it or nibble on it, and or keep it in your mouth, and that's also really enjoyable. The rehydrated berries of the shazandra, and I think shazandra—it's a—it's an acquired taste. You get used to it. It's not horrible. It's just different. Um, And for me, it's—it's like sour. It's mostly sour with like a little bit of bitter. But schizandra supposedly has is a five-flavor five fruit, right? So it has all of the tastes and is an adaptogen. But it's also really known to support the energy levels of the body really well. So that's why I really like to drink it this time of year. And the other adaptogen that I'm going to incorporate into my rotation is Eleuthero or a Siberian ginseng, which I'm pretty sure I have some somewhere. And then that I would just make in the same way. And with the adaptogens, I will do a set, like I'll drink it all, and like, but I won't actually strain it and squeeze out the herb, and then I'll uh, refill the jar with boiling water and get a, a second infusion. And it will be a much milder infusion, but um, still... Still getting it, and so I. Oh, so lately, I've been taking my quart of nourishing herbal infusion to work with me, and then my quart of adaptogen infusion with me. And sometimes people like to, you know, pick one adaptogen to work with for maybe a month, and then switch to another adaptogen. Before we continue with the show. I wanted to take a minute and talk about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. So I have been working with noom uh for, to help reach my personal health and wellness goal of shedding some weight and really focusing on eating healthfully um for at least a month i would say maybe about 3 3 or 4 weeks and One thing that I really like about Noom is they have um, options for one-on-one coaching. So they actually will have a a coach who I am in contact with via their platform on a messenger part of their app. And she checks in with me at least once or twice a week to see how I'm doing and um What challenges I might be coming up with and just asking questions to make me think more about um, the challenges and offering me links to different information that will help me problem-solve. That's just really nice to have someone there that I know is like checking in with me and keeping me accountable and is there if I have any like major questions or concerns. There's also the option of having like a group coach and that's also via their app. So that's nice to have that added support as well, and to really feel like, okay, it's not just an app. There's actually people on the other side of it that are interacting with me and have found that to be really beneficial. So if you want to try out Noom, you can start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash believe. Again, that's noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A. I have been taking the opportunity to also... Talk about uh, different foods that I've been eating that have been helping me with my health goals, and sharing them with you. So one of those is um, something that I really enjoyed this past week is smashed potato, smashed baby potatoes, with a cabbage slaw to go with them. So it's um, I roasted, I kind of rolled the baby potatoes in olive oil. And I rolled them around in olive oil and dill and like seasoning salt and herbs. And I roasted them for probably close to an hour until I knew they were very soft on the inside and nice and crunchy on the outside. Um, At a high heat, I think it was probably 450, 475, something like that in the oven. And then I took them out. And I maybe went halfway through the cooking process. I kind of turned them so that the other side would get crispy too. And then I took them out of the oven and I used a metal spatula and I smushed each one. So it made like a little patty. And then I uh, put them back in the oven and I continued to bake them. Um, at that high heat and, uh, maybe for 10 minutes and then I flipped them and then for another 10 minutes and they were delicious and they made like a really easy on the go snack, like just kind of grab and go food, um, that is like healthier than potato chips for sure, but still kind of, uh, fills that craving role. And then, um, but I had it for lunch. And then, the well, we had it for dinner, and then I had the leftovers for lunch. And the cabbage slaw is also super easy to make. Um, it's like really finely sliced cabbage. So you kind of have long, really thin, thin strands. And then uh, marinate that in like, depending on how much you have, but maybe like a tablespoon or a drizzle of olive oil and vinegar and dill. And I I used white wine vinegar because that's what I had at the moment. Apple cider vinegar is also really good or even just a whole lot of lemon juice or a combination of all three of those and some salt. And I let that marinate overnight in the fridge in a container and just to really kind of start breaking down the cabbage and softening it. And then having that with the potatoes made a really tasty lunch. The other thing I find that that I have found that has been really helpful is drinking um, my nourishing infusions and adaptogens throughout the day. I find that that like really provides a lot of nutrition so that I don't have the junk food cravings that I would have otherwise or like the sugar cravings. It just kind of curbs cravings because I feel like a lot of times we have cravings because we're, we are craving nutrition. But what we, th- what we end up in our mind craving or thinking that we're craving is more like not healthy food. So I really feel like the nourishing herbal infusions really helps to curb all kinds of cravings. And they can be filling and nutritious at the same time. So today my nourishing herbal infusion was hawthorn leaf and flower. And this makes like a really nice infusion. I find it to be, which is, you know, announced by weight of herb in a jar. Uh, in a quart jar and then filled with boiling water and covered and steeped four to eight hours. And this Hawthorne leaf and flower nourishing infusion, it tastes like a little sweet because of the flowers and a little bit of tannic because of the leaves. I think it's very pleasant. And for me today, it was a really, um, really strong diuretic. Like after while an While I was drinking it and after I was drinking it, I probably, I feel like I definitely got rid of a lot of excess water from my body. Like I didn't drink that much, but I was definitely eliminating a lot of fluid. So that actually felt good. Um, And then it's also really a beautiful heart tonic. So, for any aging heart, hawthorn just really supports its functioning in any form that you can work with hawthorn in any part of the plant, especially the leaf and the flower and the berry. The berry, maybe more so, because the berry also has bioflavonoids, which are really healthy for the heart. Uh, but the leaf and flower are also really known to help improve collagen production and to help repair nerve tissue. the nerves themselves so lots of benefit there from hawthorn as well the other cool thing about hawthorn is that it is uh, one of the many plants that's called mayflower Um, it tends to bloom in may and it has a lot of folklore in connecting humans to the fairy realm around beltane even though it blooms later here than beltane but it just is, um, tis the season to be enjoying hawthorn leaf and flower and looking to harvest it soon at a Hawthorne shrub near you. I talk a bit more about Hawthorne in the earlier episodes of, I believe episode five and six of the healthier podcast. So check those out. If you want to learn a little bit more about Hawthorne and now to conclude the podcast, I would like to read you a little bit from my book in this, uh, over year that I've been doing the podcast. It's been fun. I, I like to read from other people's books, little excerpts, and now I can't believe it. I get to read from my very own book, drinkable healing, herbal infusions, 100 beverages to soothe your ailments and boost your immunity. And this is from uh, the second page of the introduction. The first page is basically an introduction to me um, and what brought me to herbalism and my history. But the next page is the introduction to the book. So I'd like to read it to you. And it's it's so exciting because on this page, there's this really fun photograph going up the side of the page of a yarrow plant. And I didn't really have a hand in the, of the book or the layout, Um, but I'm really, really pleased with it. And I just love that at the beginning of the book is one of my main herbal allies, yarrow. So it must just be meant to be. Here we go. Herbal medicine has been used for thousands of years It is a major element of alternative medicine and is useful in preventing and treating a number of common ailments. However, in the modern era, in industrialized pockets of the world, many have lost their relationship with healing plants. Now, there is an ever-growing desire to reconnect to these lost relations. The ancient and necessary role of the home herbalist is being reclaimed. Nature's pharmacy is extensive, filled with herbs that possess powerful medicinal properties. With guidance and knowledge, everyone can use herbs to strengthen their health and build resiliency. In this book, you will begin the journey of the home herbalist via one of the simplest and most enjoyable means, creating safe, nourishing, and enjoyable herbal beverages. The 100 recipes provided here use some of the world's most common and effective herbs in all manner of beverages and liquids, including teas, tonics, syrups, and more. Although it was once difficult to buy medicinal herbs, they are now much easier to find at well-stocked pharmacies, on the shelves of big box stores, and in the aisles of health food stores. They can often be purchased at an affordable cost. Even if you don't have easy access to some herbs, popular online distributors offer all the ingredients you need. Some herbs may even be already hiding inside your spice cabinet. There's also the option to grow and harvest fresh herbs yourself. This book offers an entrance to a rich and rewarding relationship between you and the healing power of plants. After reading this book and working with the recipes, you, the home herbalist, will be informed, inspired, and empowered in your own health care. And with that, I will say thank you so much for listening and for being here. You can find me On Instagram, Facebook, and my website, all with the tag Solidago Herb School. And say hi, send me a message, reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you and have fun with herbs.